Welcome to episode 874 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 874 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm a little better now. My, my fing- fingers, oh, fingers are defrosting. Your fingers are defrosting. Push mute. Um, just, just push mute. I'm trying to. We're, yeah. we're using a new yeah. technology today. It's going crazy. We, we, we're cheap, basically. And so we're never paid for the upgrade of Zoom. So often we do interviews where 40 minutes will come and we'll be slightly stressed. And if you listen to Mountain Snail's interview, we had to shut him off straight away because yeah. 40 minutes came. Uh, but Libsyn, the company we used to serve the podcast, they've actually brought out a, a version of um, recording interviews where you don't have a time limit. And we used it and we were a little bit concerned because it's a great interview of Cody Bills. And we're a little bit concerned, had it saved it? Yes. <laughs> so that's a good thing. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by our fantastic patrons. We've got Tim Superstar Carpenter. Jonathan, the Ringer Pike. And we've got Iona Snowtrooper McKenzie. Okay, in this week's show, we've got news. Our hot topic of the week disappeared, John. It did. It was on Mark's Facebook. Mark's episode has got his conspiracy against us. Yeah. So they did. What happened? But anyway, there was a few, few comments on there. We'll mention the hot topic. Um, pro of the week, we've got a great interview. Yeah, we're talking with Cody Beals. Um, for you, those of you that don't know Cody, uh, he's a really switched on pro and he's got, uh, written some great articles on the, the sort of the budget and lifestyle of a pro over the years and in his own right he's a very good athlete as well uh, Wing of the Week questions and answers at the end Okay so we've got a few races happened over the weekend mainly 70.3 so what happened Jumbo? We'll do some quick fire stuff here there was a new race in Challenge Freju uh, Magna Newalt took that out by a whopping 9 minutes but Arnott's took out the boys race by 4.5 minutes Sebastian Keenlay was there he managed to get a penalty on the bike which shut him out they had uh, was he in the game yeah he was in the game yeah yep. um, but yeah, I don't know what happened I mean I assume it was only a couple of minute penalty but he was uh, obviously didn't run that well then we had 70.3 Gulf Coast um, Sam Long took that out I'm assuming there wasn't a females race there's no results listed there um, but very impressive he's done two races in two weeks uh, and he Good field. He beat Lionel Sanders by four minutes and another in six minutes to Jackson Laundry. So Sam Long is on fire at the moment. Um, we then had the trade in full distance race over in I think that's in Spain. Carla Darnan took that out by five minutes, and Emilio Munoz took it out by only fifty seconds. Tight racing in a full, and then we they had a half distance here as well. Interesting that the racing was closer in the full than the half. The guys who won the, the, the half, Iwa Commander from Poland, she won the half by nine minutes. Wow. And Oliver Vivis uh, took out the boys by eight minutes. We've got Ironman Lanzagrotti happening this weekend. And when we look at the field, it's a pretty decent-sized field for a kind of like a second-tier race nowadays. Two pro slots for both the females and males, 25,000 Prize purse paying 10 deep, so pretty low prize money. Very low. Um, but you've got a couple of good athletes here. Yeah, and, and you kind of got to assume that athletes are going there. Because of a training day. Training day, want to tick off Lanzarote's cool place. You might do a training camp over there to sort of get, you know, this time of the year, the weather's, oh, I suppose the weather's starting to improve everywhere over Europe. But it's a cool race to go and do. And I guess, you know, if your sponsors are giving you pro bonuses, um, then it's it's worthwhile doing. But uh, you would expect if Sam Laidlow is in fact racing, he pulled out of the recent PTO race after winning, I think it was 
Grand Canaria or won some race earlier this season. He's predicted to come in 15 minutes in front of Cameron Worth and Ken, the defending champion Kenneth Vanderslice. Um, but yeah, it's a good field. Andreas Dreitz is there on the female side. Lydia Dant equally is supposed to win by 24 minutes. Uh, so might not be close racing, but it's definitely an event that is on my list I'd love to go and do one day. When is a $25,000 prize purse? Paid out over 20 athletes. What are you getting for 10th? I'd be saying 500 bucks, something like that. There is a table somewhere, but it's not going to be much. It's not going to be much for the win. No. Um, But I would say 500 bucks. Okay, we've got another race happening in France. It's called the Frenchman Triathlon. I was just... this one? It was on... um, k226.com and I just saw it's, it's down near um, Bordeaux and you know nothing special about the race in terms of format or anything you know 3.8k sort of lake swim and the bike course is uh, is you know um, undulating I was just interested to see the difference in entry fees these days so this race here you know it looks like a well supported event 399 euros to enter versus if you want to go and do um, Ironman France in Nice uh, it's 672 so not quite half price. So Ironman France is not the World Championships. No, and that was also interesting to me. They're having Ironman France in Nice as On well the as course? the World Championships. I don't know if it's the same course. It will be very similar. When is it? And it's usually in June. Well, that is interesting, isn't it? Mm. But I suppose, I suppose because it's the World Championship, you can't have locals turning up to the Nice World Championships, can you? No, but it takes away that from, from an A-tripper's point of view. It's like, it just takes a little bit of a sparkle off. You know, everyone can go and do the race for yeah. us. It's just not as quite as special. I would have thought in the years they're going to have it in Nice, maybe they won't have the Ironman France because the Iron there are other Ironman events in France people can go and do and there's a shitload all across Europe. So that was an interesting one. But yeah. Look, It'll be interesting to see the numbers. Yeah, but there's still races out there if you want to go to smaller smaller events where you're not going to have to bust the bank to just on the entry fees. 672 euros. That's, you know, about... 1200 bucks New Zealand, 1100 bucks New Zealand to enter a race. But that's what you're paying for Ironman New Zealand, isn't it? I know. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Okay. Uh, Yokohama happened over the weekend. It was good to see a Kiwi boy took it out. It was. And this is a, an example of you should never just look at the results to understand what actually happened okay. in the race. Because that's um, what I did. So what happened, John? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, so it was Yokohama, second round of the World Triathlon Series. Uh, no Alex Yee racing. Um, and also Vincent Louis out with an injury as well, which was a shame because he was originally in my picks. And Hayden Wild uh, did what he, I kind of reckon he really needed this performance to say, when I'm on form, me and Alex Yee, we are head and shoulders above everybody else. And well, he why proved, do you say he needed that? Well, because the, both of them had a poor result um, at, at the end of last, yeah. last season. Uh, his last Super League race, I don't think, was, was that great. Um, but you, you saw in other races last year, those two, when they're on, like they're just so much yep. better than everybody else. And, and he did that over there, which I think was really important for him. So the results show that he was only four seconds in front of Matt Housie. So you're thinking, shit, that was pretty close. Mm. He was absolutely annihilating everybody. He was about th- uh, a good 30 seconds up um, during the run. And, oh, okay. and, and took, it looked like he took the, the foot off the accelerator a little bit on the last lap. But he was yeah, way Okay, because time-wise, he didn't even have the fastest run. But basically, yeah. he pulled back. Yeah, and then the, the, the second, third, and fourth was uh, was a sprint finish. And Matt Hauser, Tom said, my, my Tom said to me before the race, oh, have you got that big Aussie in, in your picks? And I said, 
Uh, he's, he's good at Super League. He's good at sprints. He'll be, he'll be good for a top 10. You know, five through 10, in case he bloody gets second, ruins my, my, <laughs> my splits. And the other cool thing I liked about this one was um, third place Vasco Velaza. Um, he's had a really good start to the season and he's still uh, you know, younger than the others. You know, he's 20, I guess he's 23, 20, 22. Um, but he had the number one cap and he's, he was like, in the, the post race interview, he said, Oh, this was my dream to get the number one cap, oh, really? and I was I was looking forward to after the race, whatever happened, I'd be able to put that number one cap up on the wall and, oh. and frame it. And he lost his cap in the swim, <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, no. and so because oh, I'm so happy that I got third place, because now uh, I think I'll still keep the number one ranking going into the next race, so I'll oh, have okay. another swim cap. Um, but it was a good running race. Uh, I was out of town and was just basically fast forwarding through the, you know, much of the bike ride, but watched the whole run and it was uh, it was good to see. It was and it was a good race for for second and third. So what's, what's where's Alex here right now? Is he injured? Uh, no, he's just skipping this round. So in two weeks' time, we're going to see a um, a duel with Hayden Wild and Alex Yee and a lot of the other big guns. So looking forward to that in Cagliari. Okay, what happened in the females' race? Females' race um, was a bit of a dojo domination, really, by Sophie Corbyn. She's never won a race before, never won a race at this standard. Look at that uh, run. And her, her run was awesome. Like, she's always a Good runner, but she'll get a bit beaten up by the top, top females. Uh, and Georgia Taylor-Brown is one of those top females. She got shut out because she didn't make the front group, but she was only 20 seconds behind Georgia Taylor-Brown's yeah. run, and she is a weapon runner. So awesome for her. She's a, it's just bloody hard to try to make. The, the American team is like mission impossible to bloody make for the females, and Great Britain is not that far off either. Um so Taylor, it was also really good to see the return of Taylor Nib. So she is the she won the seventy point three world champs last year. I'm sure she did, didn't she? She's yeah, like so. she she's coming back. She's hardly bloody run all year, and it was in a said she was in a um, uh, you know walking on crutches a couple of months ago. She had an f- operation on her foot. What was weird though, and they they had a bit of a, a cock up with the the filming of the women's race. It like we were watching it on Sky, and it just dropped out for like. 10 minutes at the, oh, towards right. the run uh, towards the end of the run but what was weird it was pissing down the rain the conditions were miserable <laughs> like really shit uh, and Taylor Nib, she's an absolute beast on the bike she'd go to the front and she'd just like drive it for lap after lap and then she'd finally decide to have a break but she'd sit like 10 metres off the back of the group you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, and why? I wanted to see a post-race interview. I haven't seen one yet as to why she was doing it. The only reason I can think is she didn't want to get spray, shit sprayed all over her face, okay. uh, which I can kind of understand. Um, but it was just a weird tactic. She yeah, was you're wasting energy. energy. Yeah. Oh, huge amount. So it was a good race. Sophie Caldwell took took that out. And then we had a Mexican in second place who I've never heard of before. And Taylor Nib was third. Okay, two names we're interested in seeing what's happening in their career, particularly uh, as we look to the Olympics. Uh Gustav Eden and Jürgensen, how'd they go? Gustav Eden, I'm pretty sure after the first slap of the swim, he was dead last. And coming out of the swim, I think he was second to last. What's, uh, what's he doing? And and so he he had a miserable time out there. What, now, what would he normally swim? Uh, no, he, it was since he's come back from doing long course, that's where he's been. He's been out the back And it's game door. over, isn't it? Uh, uh, look, his, his run, um, what did he run? He ended up making up a bit of, bit of time. He ended up 39th, but he only ran a 31, 38. Um, and even if you're in the front group, that's not getting you anywhere remotely close. You're two, min- two minutes down. Will he even wild. qualify? Uh, well, I don't think so because um, Christian Blumenfeld should be sweet. He, he had an okay race, but he was 
very lucky. He should have been shut out after the swim because he had a crappy swim as well. Uh, luckily, the bikes just all, all came together. But there was another Norwegian, um, Vettel Thorn, and he was in 12th place. So those two are going to, at this stage, um, take the slots and... Yeah, unless they get three slots. Do you think? Uh, and it's pretty unlikely, isn't it, if he's pulling off 38s? Yeah, yeah. It's only the top few countries that get three slots. Do we think Blumenfeld won't be in a uh, won't be a contender at the Olympics because of the, the course of action he's taken over the last couple of years? It wasn't a bad result. He got eighth, and he's in, and he was only thirty seconds off um, the the win. I do, yeah, I do think that the others are gonna be just that. Because surely he's compromising a bit of top end speed based on what he's doing mm, in the swim. He was, I think, where, where the long course guys have been compromised is the swim. So anything's possible, but I think he's now in that next rung down from Hayden Wilde and uh, Yee. And so I think they'll probably all be battling for the, you know, that potential third place, or if one of the others balls it up. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a battle for third now. Okay, Jorgensen, what happened? So to her credit, she rocks up to Yokohama. And she hasn't got a start on the in the okay. start, and she's basically banking on people dropping out. Nobody drops out, so she travels all the way to Japan oh. with her husband, with her baby. Doesn't get to race, go home. See, oh, really? <laughs> oh, bugger! So, God, I feel for that. Wait, now, where did she? She did a right in the World Cup, didn't she? she yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so. Yeah. She's in, I find her career really fascinating because, and you guys heard me talk about this. It was an interesting move to be from the most dominant person in your game to try to do a new sport again. And admittedly, she had a running background. And now she's trying to... It's almost like she's made two bad moves. Yeah. You know? But, but hey, it's her life. And, and I'm sure she's happy with her choices. But it's just interesting as a spectator of the sport on the sidelines. It's been pretty fascinating. Uh, Ultraman Australia happened over the weekend. It's your 2023 three-day Ultra Australian winner was Simon Col- Cochran. Cochran from Cochran. New Zealand. And he did... Uh, Total time of 1948.47. Uh, he went sub-20. Is that the first sub-20 in Australia or ever? This was just off their Facebook page. Um, it was claiming first, it says first in the world to go sub-20. I haven't fact-checked any of that, uh, but he's a Kiwi and he's a winner, so we like it. Uh, but he did knock one hour 32 off the existing Ultraman Australia uh, record, which is impressive. Ran a 6.06 um, for the marathon. I'm sure he would have It's a double marathon, isn't it? Double marathon. It's yeah, pretty I'm good. sure he would have been gunning for a, for a sub-6. Six, six. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, nonetheless pretty impressive. So he's um, yeah he's done some pro racing and he does coaching and uh, bloody awesome result. I haven't got much more than that because they were just doing sort of posts on their Facebook page. But I did, I did say D, D Fuller crossed the line on day three as the first female uh, in her run time was eight hours 57 so Ultraman funny old funny old game it looked like to me they had maybe about you know less than 50 people racing um, that's kind of how it is every year that's it? how it is and yeah. I think they limit it it's just I don't know it doesn't appeal to me I know it appeals to other people but uh, it's yeah. amazing it doesn't appeal to you because you do actually like a mm. longer day mm. you know like you come and look at what you do yeah yeah you know, it's, it's actually quite... Maybe the long running doesn't appeal to you. The double marathon is not that appealing to me. Because you swim... Well, how far do you swim? 10K? Uh, yeah, it must be... T- well, probably it's double Ironman, so I guess it's probably... Yeah, you have to go, let's eight, say 10K, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's in your reach easy enough. And, and you do the, the... Usually do the 90K bike on that day, and then the next day is the, the, the double sort of distance. Um, so you do 320, is it, next day? Mm, something like that. It's, I'm actually quite... I, I, I get that maybe the run's not your thing, but... Mm. Um, when, if might. I were to say, John Newsom, what does he like? John Newsom likes crazy long stuff. Mm. Biking-wise, what's the longest running you do? You've never really done crazy running long stuff, have you? No, I'd say 
I don't know what my longest one is, but probably four hours ish sort of yeah, thing. You yeah, you've done like an ultra marathon. Yeah. Does, does an ultra marathon appeal to you? Not at this stage, no. Maybe doing something like Comrades does, but certainly the the uh, racing, doing trail running, which I think is just gonna it's just gonna continue to grow and grow and grow in the next like few the years. Like the and stuff like that. Yeah, that doesn't appeal to me. Like doing those runs appeals, but doing them in a race setting doesn't appeal. I just rather go and run them, and just stop and look at the scenery, and I don't want to do that when I'm racing. Okay. So you, you, the competitive aspect actually takes you away from the nature enjoyment. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, interestingly, we had a discussion of the week last week, and we don't know what's happened to it because <laughs> we posted it, we got some comments, and yeah. it's not on our Facebook page. It's a conspiracy, John. Yeah, I had a quick look at it last week. It was basically what people thought of the PTO coverage, and the majority of people just said, "Yeah, it was really good. I was engaged, watched it all." Thought it was really good. Our commentary was a little bit. People were a little, a little bit, bit critical of the yeah. commentary. And, and interestingly, I was just saying to Bevan off air before that they had a World Triathlon Series uh, race at the weekend in Yokohama, as we mentioned. They had an alternative commentary there, and I only listened to a tiny little piece of it. But it's from some other guys who do the Pro Tri News podcast, and some of them are ex-athletes, and they're you know a bit more opinionated. Um, it's bloody hard to do commentary for, so you didn't for, think for a couple of hours. I literally only listened to a very short couple of bits and they weren't, you know, we, what we kind of want is people who are excited, you know, a bit like yeah. the guy who does Super League, you know, you, yep. you've got some yeah. energy yeah. and you're excited. A bit like Barry hype, Shepley hype as man. well. He, he was really good. Um, these guys, I think they're really insightful and knowledgeable, but of the bits that I looked, looked at... Um, I think you need both. You need the hype yes. man... Yeah. You know, like me, I'd be a, a good hype man. Mm. Um, and then you need you, who's the expert. That you mm. need you need the person who's, you know, you, like you look at rugby league commentators, rugby commentators, there's a guy who doesn't really have the knowledge, but he's just telling you the game consistently mm. and doing it in a way that it adds flavour to the game. And then you've got the guy who comes in and just gives you the the, the gold knowledge. Uh, and that was, that when we look at the PTO race last weekend, it was, they were both good. But uh, uh, who was the female? Helen Jenkins. Yeah, like her, yeah. her, her insight was amazing, mm. but she probably needed someone a bit more of a hype person beside her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it. In long course, that can be challenging because oh. it's a long day at the office, so yeah. to be hyped up the whole time. And that's when you need your, your, your swap and your, your commentators. How does it work in the Tour de France? Well, I've, I'm signed up to GCN Plus, which is a cycling one, and they, they're swapping uh, commentators in and out. But there's, there's not many people that are going to watch extend the whole Tour de France stage is going to be like my son Tom he'll watch uh, you know the last hour or so um, yep. live and um, yeah it's uh, yeah they, but they change the commentators out uh, quite regularly on GCN which is which works well okay so this week's discussion it's help John Day it's help John John needs some help <laughs> tell me what you need help with share your Many best things share your best playlist that you listen to when riding intervals indoors music yeah I've finally succumbed to Spotify. Uh, and you're paying? Yeah. Yep. Wow. <laughs> so you, you just try to get sponsorship? I was not able to get a sponsorship <laughs> on that one. Um, surprisingly. Why did you succumb? Because Felicity loves her music. Okay. Like she is just, yep. oh, has headphones on all the bloody time. And I kind of need it first for some coaching sessions and things yeah. like that. And, you, and then the ad comes on. You can't be doing a session with an yeah, ad. Yeah, well, I used to. <laughs> Much to people's <laughs> frustration. Um, and, and my iPod, uh, old iPod's blown up pretty much. So it needs to just go through the phone. I love Spotify. You know what I love about Spotify? Because I love music. And one of the best feelings in life is when you find a new song you love. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just love the fact music discovery is so cheap. 
you know, like in the past, you know, you'd buy a CD, but I was always, I'm such a tight, I'm a bit like you, I'm a tight ass. Mm. And so you'd never really, you'd buy a CD and I'd probably buy five CDs a year, whereas I listen to so much new music now and it's just really cool. And, and was it 17 bucks a month, I think? Something like that. You know, I, I just, I, I try to blank it out of my, <laughs> out of my mind. For um, like $4 a week, you know, for me, it's a good investment. But okay. And, and I know you can go on there and you find any, any music you want, but for me to go on there and try to find upbeat sort of music to listen to podcast okay, to I'm listen to when you're doing yeah. interval, intervals like you put in sort of cycling music or high high intensity workouts and the music is shit but what kind of music do you like John you've got to give us a gauge here because like do you like like for me when I'm training I like, I like rock and a bit of uh, Queen's like I love that song um, what is it um, wake up wake up, wake up. It's a great song by oh what are they called? Just in the down. I like a good angry rock song when I'm trying to go hard. Yeah. What, what, what do you like? Well, I, I made a little. We did a 20 minute TT last week, and luckily I was uh, fudging it because I had to ride 200 kilometers the next day. But um, don't go giving me ads when I'm paying for it. Spotify. Uh, I came up with a little list, and I'll tell you what it is. My FTP. Here we go. List. Ever. It was. I thought it was quite good. I don't know what the others thought. We had. Uh, come on. Track number one was Firestarter from Prodigy. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Galvanized by the Chemical Brothers. Yep. Uh, ya Mama, Fat Boy yep. Slim. Yep. Um, we Come Number One, a radio edit from Faithless. Don't know okay. what that was. Uh, Chemical Beats by the Chemical Brothers. Oh, so, so you like you like upbeat kind of dance music. Yeah. That's a bit, bit a little bit aggressive. Hey boy, hey girl. Hey boy, the, the hey Chemical girl, Brothers. DJ. That was, Here uh, we go. That was, that was good. So that was a good playlist, but I couldn't find any playlist like that. Oh, you need to look for dance music then. Right. Dance, dance, dance music playlists. But anyway, this week I want you guys to share your playlists um, when you're writing. Or playlists, list. maybe ones that you've created or ones that you use. Hmm. Um, workout. Okay, dance music workout. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Yeah. And you'll find, you'll find them there, John. There'll be plenty. Yeah. I'm glad, glad you didn't say Dolly Pardon. Um, no, Jolene. Well, she's bringing Jol- out a rock album. Jolene, yeah. Jolene, Jolene. I do, I've, got, I've got our old shit playlist and that's got a bit of the old the Jersey Boys on there. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> got to uh, say, that Jolene song is one of the greatest songs of all time. As much as I was just giving shit to Jolly Parton, Jolly Parton. That's well, a beautiful song. Well, I think in the, the Miley Cyrus version, yeah, the, that's, uh, that's even better. Yeah, she's stunning. Mm. Um, okay, so what are the best playlists you listen to when you're writing indoor intervals? Okay, we've got a quiz question. We have. Sam Long has been in the news this week because he, he crushed it for the second week in a row. Um, and he's a controversial character. And people like him are fantastic for the sport. Yep. Um, he's YouTubing a lot now. He's trying to be like Lionel and, yep. and getting it out there. But um, he, he he's... Earlier this well, last year, I think it was, he had uh, got Dan Plews on board for his, his coaching. Yep. Recently parted ways with him because he was he had one bad race and he's like, fuck this. I'm just, oh, excuse the language. And he moved on. Right, and, wait, wait. So he was using Dan Plews. Yeah. He's one bad race and he gets rid of him. He gets rid of him. And now he's crushing it. And it could have been that six months yeah. um, prior that he's, uh, that, that's by the by. But I was thinking, you know, he's crushing it at 70.3s. Um, what's Sam Long's best Ironman placing? Any Ironman race? Because he is a seventy point three specialist. So we don't have to name the race. Just weird. Just what's his, what's his best one? placing? Has he won one? Oh, did you know the answer? I do not. Okay, we've got a great interview coming up with another great pro, and this is Cody Bills. Really cool interview. Uh, really insightful. We think you guys are going to love it. So here it is right now. 
Righto team, um, we are happy to have Cody Beals back on the show. I think it might be the third time, either the second or third time, if you don't know Cody. Uh, he's a multiple Ironman winner. Last season won Lake Placid, uh, won Eagleman 70.3. He was third at Mont Tremblant, probably should have been second in hindsight based off the news in the last few weeks. Uh, lots of other wins uh, over the years, five-time winner in 2018. And uh, yeah, probably one of the more, most professional professionals we've come across. So uh, welcome back to the show, Cody. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm honored. It's going to be tough to live up to that reputation for being a professional now. I can't run my mouth too much. Put that on your tagline, the most professional professional. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> you, you started the season off uh, Ironman Texas, and it seems crazy that you finish in fifth place with a time of 7.57. Came through pretty strong, strongly on the run. Um, how did that race sort of go for you, you know, on, on your personal level, and, and how did it sort of compare to what you've seen in training? Yeah, I feel the same way about that. I mean, a few years ago, a, a sub eight performance like that would have won most Ironmans, but this is the game now. And uh, yeah, I've seen it elevate every single year and all around, it was a pretty solid performance. Um, I could nitpick over a few things, but it certainly wasn't a bad day, but it wasn't a, a great result. Mm. And that's just how it is now. Mm. You, you, you went on to Ibiza. I'm, I'm keen to know in terms of going to Ibiza, you know, it's a long way. You're coming out of, uh, coming out of winter. It was obviously the long distance world championships the day after the, the PTO race. So what was the kind of motivation to, to go to the other side of the, the world to do that race? So that race was a big focus of my season. And I think it's been a fair criticism looking back over my career that I've been a little too um, maybe conservative with my race selections. You know, I've had some good results, but often at not non-championship races. So this year, I really wanted to get out of my comfort zone. I wanted to race in Europe. I wanted to race regional championships, world championships. So I really targeted that race. And I actually got an invite to the PTO race the day before, relatively uh -huh. last minute. Declined that, decided I was all in on this long distance race, which suited me better. And guys, it was a bit of a disaster. Um, yeah. I really could not back up Texas. I got there and thought I was recovering pretty well and came down with some kind of virus and had a pretty miserable experience. And it's almost like Ironman Texas was cursed. It seems like everyone who yeah. performed at Texas couldn't back that up. I mean, it was Rudy Von Berg, Jocelyn McCauley, uh, Maya, uh, just a whole, everyone. Joe Skipper so, and, uh, and also Joe, Kate, Kate Matthews. That's right, yeah. Well, you, you talk about how in the past you were maybe a bit too conservative. Why do you think you were and, and why the shift? So I, I, I don't want to be too self-critical about that because I think kind of incrementally working my way up through the rungs of competition helped me earn a living doing this. And I was able to make this a viable career for going on 10 years now. Um, but it just, I think I was targeting races that I felt like I could perform and make money at. And these, these higher caliber races, they're riskier propositions. Like I spent more getting to Ibiza, more getting to that start line than all of my races combined last year. Wow. So it's a big opportunity cost, you know, like a, a world championship race, whether it's Kona or a race like Ibiza, which obviously isn't quite in the same level as Kona. But nonetheless, it's a big investment to be there. And, you know, it's a potentially big payday, but it's also potentially uh, it's easy to come out in the negative with those races as well. So I've tended to structure my season around one or two riskier propositions. And then kind of the bread and butter is races that are more assured to pay the bills. Do you feel more pressure then when you turn up to Ibiza? Because it has been a much more a much more of an investment, um, financially at least. Do you feel more pressure going into a race like that? Or can you kind of put that aside? I, I do. It's definitely something I struggled with. And that was a factor that led to me having a pretty disastrous Kona in 2019 as well. Um, I just internalized a lot of that pressure. It's like, 
damn, I better perform now that I've invested. It's not just about the money. It's just the opportunity cost of the time and where else I could be racing that week. So yeah, I, I do find that really, really crushing. Although with Ibiza, I kind of could hedge it a little bit that it was a pretty cool place to be on vacation uh, <laughs> anyways. So I brought my partner along. He's rarely been to races with me. So it was a little bit easier to stomach because even if the race was, was a flop, which it ended up being, at least we salvaged something enjoyable from it, you know? Yeah. One, one of my questions, and you've, you've kind of already answered this, was, you know, I wasn't sure if you had been offered a spot to the PTO race. Um, had that come around, you know, uh, a month earlier, or if you were in the in the sort of uh, running to, to be in that race, would you have done that or would you have stuck with the, the long course race? And if so, why? That's definitely a good question. I agonized over the decision. I got offered a slot about uh, maybe two weeks out yeah. and I was ranked 45th at the time. So I kind of figured there'd be a roll down slot. There were 30 men and women on the start line. And uh, it just, I think these days, the caliber of competition is so high that there are very few athletes. I mean, a handful in the world who can perform really well over the hundred kilometer distance and the Ironman at the same time. And I've been focused on Ironman racing for years now. I think I can still have a good 70.3. I showed that at Eagleman last year when I broke the course record, but um, I'm not optimistic about my chances to contend for a top 10 at a race like the PTO opens. Does it does it frustrate you with the PTO then? Because their racing is really does suit more the, the 70.3 athlete. Does it frustrate you that the way that the racing is done at the moment, that it is not, you know, for someone who's probably more of an Ironman specialist, uh, that it doesn't really cater to you? It does frustrate me, but I have to separate my own self-interest from this as well. Like zooming out and looking at this as a fan of the sport, I am never going to criticize people bringing money and opportunities into the sport. That's a fantastic thing. PTO has, has been the most exciting development in, for the sport over the last few years. Yeah. But as an Ironman specialist, I can't help but feel like this focus on the 100 kilometer distance is kind of pandering to, um, you know, shorter distance athletes and even world triathlon athletes who already have two fantastic stages via World Triathlon and Super League to show their stuff. So there was some discussion early on of a 200 kilometer PTO race. It sounds like that's now been put on ice, at least for a little while. So yeah, that was disappointing news because as much as I'm excited about what this 100K format is doing for the sport and all the money it's bringing and all the opportunities, it's not something that's going to personally advance my career. And just in terms of a pure test of endurance, I don't think it's true to the PTO's original mission of trying to uplift long course triathletes. Do you do, do, do find, because one thing we've noticed is that, you know, second tier races and even a lot of the championship races that are Ironman championships outside of Kona are pretty weak fields now. So do you find that there's an opportunity for you there because you are finding that you can, I don't know, if we look at the money-making side of the game, is that there's more opportunity to turn up for those races. And I know Texas probably didn't do that for you, but you know what I mean? It gives you an opportunity to make income because the PTO races are making all the rock stars turn up to, you know, do less of the traditional Ironman races. Yes. So that's, that's an important way that pros are benefiting indirectly from the PTO, even if they're not getting paid by the PTO. And to be clear, I am making a little bit of money from the PTO. I've, I've been ranked inside the top 50. I was ranked inside the top 20 at one point through the pandemic. So I have earned some decent bonuses from them, which is fantastic. But the biggest perk for someone in my position who's focusing on Ironman is that, yeah, it's, it's diluting these fields a little bit at, uh, at, at regional championship and other smaller races. Like, frankly, my performance at Lake Placid last year, I'd give it a B plus. It wasn't an amazing day. I think in previous years, if I was facing the likes of, you know, Joe Skipper or an on-form Brent McMahon who set the course record there a few years ago, I don't think I should have won that race. So it was a B-plus performance, but I snuck in for the win because the field was relatively weak compared to what it's been in some years. 
Mm. Um, one thing you experienced in um, Ibiza, and they had that with the PTO race as well, was uh, Race Ranger. You know, it was being tested through through New Zealand and a little bit into Australia through the early part of this year, and now they're sort of, you know, trying to, to take that next step. So, so talk, talk us through your experience and and what sort of impact it had on your race. Yeah, so I understand Race Ranger has been trialed a little bit. And this was my first experience with it. And it's obviously ready for prime time. They rolled it out at the PTO Euro Open and uh, Long Distance Worlds as well. And I was, I've always been interested in the technical side of the sport. So I was primed to, I was optimistic about the potential of this. And it really delivered. I was, I was so impressed. There were zero issues with it. And some really interesting learnings as well. Um, I think the referees, as they gain confidence in the technology, will increasingly be making calls using the Race Ranger system. So right now, they kind of couched it as like, this is an additional tool the referees can use to inform their decisions out on the course. Uh, but I don't think, I didn't see referees actually, you know, scrutinizing the, the light setups on the back of the bikes to make their, their drafting calls. So I think as confidence in this technology grows, I'd actually like to see officials leaning more heavily on this tech to, uh, to call penalties and stuff. So I think it's ready for that. Did, like, but in terms of your actual riding, did it impact you much? Like, were you watching the lights? And, and I don't know if you're riding with a group or not, but could you tell when, okay, I'm, I can actually cut in here or, uh, whoops, I've, I've gone in the zone, I've got to actually make this pass here. Did it, did it impact you much or were you, I know the race didn't go um, perfectly, so were you sort of by yourself? Uh, I definitely came out of the water with a big pack and spent a bit of time in the pack before I got bled off the back. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was enough to see that, uh, yes, my estimation of 12 meters is pretty darn accurate. I've heard a lot of pros say that 12 meters was even less than they realized. 12 meters is really, really close. And there's quite a pronounced draft benefit, especially in a long pace line of legally spaced athletes at 12 meters. So that wasn't really surprising to me. Um, one thing I think that this might lead to is hopefully a revision of the rules, because right now, if you have, so the way that the lights are set up on the race ranger device, there's a red light if you're under 12 meters, which is in the draft zone. So go ahead and complete your pass. There is another light, I believe it's blue for uh, 12 to 15 meter range, which is kind of like the safe zone. And then a third color for, you know, outside of that 15 meter range. So right now, as it stands, if you are coming up on an athlete who's anything more than 12 meters behind the athlete in front of them, you can slide in on them legally. Mm. But that's kind of problematic because if you have a pace line of athletes and they're all spaced at a little over 12 meters, they can just be repeatedly slotted in on. So I think what, sh what the rule should change to is that the, um, the draft zone should be 12 to 15 meters perhaps. And so it, it would be illegal to slide in on an athlete anywhere in that range. Mm. So it's impossible to ride at exactly, you know, 12 meters and one centimeter the entire time. Mm. Yeah. It just must be so bloody hard to making a passing maneuver when you've got a lineup of athletes. You know, you've got to, I guess you've got to be going FTP oh, yeah. for for an extended period of time to oh, actually. More, more than that. Yeah. yeah, I've got the power files to show it. It's passing like multiple athletes. It's you know can be minutes over 400 watts to make it to the front of a long line like that. Can so I, it's, a, it's a lot of matches you're burning in an Ironman, especially. <laughs> can, I, can I ask? Did it change the way you raced a little bit? Because I, you know, like now that you've got this light in front of you. Does it give you a different focus? You know what I mean? Like, because, you know, like, as you're saying in the past, you, you know, it does seem that subconsciously you kind of knew what that trust zone was. Some people thought it was a little bit longer, but now there's this kind of light that's telling you, and it's almost like you're playing a bit of a video game where you kind of got this light that's almost guiding a bit of your consciousness as you're racing. Did you find that was the experience? Yeah, definitely. It kind of felt like the gamification of racing to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. And it could, it could almost be a little bit distracting. Uh, like I've often erred on the side of, 
preferring to ride around 15 meters because it's too cognitively stressful to be trying to hug yeah. right at the 12 meter mark, you know, because if you're trying to do that, you're having to feather your brakes all the time or sit up just to keep it honest. And the reality is that most athletes end up yo-yoing between, you know, nine meters and 15 meters if they're trying to sit at 12 the entire time, which is not strictly speaking legal according to the rules. But you'd be hard pressed to find referees that call that by the book. They expect that as you approach a climb or coming to a roundabout, the pack will kind of accordion in and out and they won't really make calls, even though athletes are technically straying into the draft zone. So I'd rather see calls, a set of rules that are fairly written and then enforced to the letter. Nice. Now, um, guys, if you want to go check out Cody's website, he's got some great blogs on there um, over the years, codybeals.com. And one that I looked at was uh, in 2021. He wrote an article on sort of how the the face of racing changed since COVID. You know, people were you know locked down for anywhere between one and bloody two, three years nearly for us um, and come back and all of a sudden, if you're not sub eight, you're basically out the, completely out the back door at most races. So let, let's start with the bike, Cody. You know, you've, you've looked at power files and compared them to when you were winning races to when you're maybe getting fifth, you know. How much of the speed gains on the bike do you think is technology improving um, versus in sort of improved performance by athletes? Um, I would say the technology gains have been largely overhyped. Uh, I think that technology hasn't quite plateaued, but it's certainly um, leveled off in terms of the rapid progression we saw in the 2000s and in the the early 2010s, I would say, in terms of aerodynamic developments and rolling resistance. So there's been some some marginal gains with technology over the course of my 10-year career. Um, But really, I think it's largely due to fitness. And so... Earlier in my career, I had seasons where I was setting 70.3 bike course records every other race. And I haven't really developed too much on the bike since then, despite my best efforts, trust me. <laughs> so I'm holding similar power numbers. And now I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm a mediocre professional rider, if I'm honest, among triathletes. Mm. So probably like, I don't know, I think the PTO has me somewhere in the mid 80s percentile mm. or ranking for the for the ride relative to a, a stronger um, swim and run. So just by virtue of everyone else leveling up on the bike, me holding steady hasn't been enough to uh, to maintain the same level of performance. So I think cycling more than any of the three disciplines has really leveled up. When you say that, you say technology, we, we talk about the bike, you know, the, the aerodynamics and stuff, but the, the the feedback we get from training the technology, surely it helped that a lot with the fitness? Uh, I, I disagree with you there. Okay. Again, I think I think things like, like lactate and all uh, these new tools and, I think they've been overhyped in terms of the gains they've delivered. Okay. Do you, do you think people are riding harder or, or, yes, or why are we fitter? Yeah, or they're just <laughs> simply fitter? Uh, I think certainly the pro men are riding harder, sometimes or often to their detriment. The way the pro men's race plays out is kind of like mutually assured destruction. And <laughs> you, used to see, you used to see this like strictly in Kona. This is my understanding kind of as a student of the sport who's observed this for 10 years now. You used to see dynamics that were very unique to Kona where everyone hit the first hour of the bike as if it were like an Olympic distance race almost. And now gradually it seems like those dynamics have bled over into almost all Ironmans that have a reasonably competitive field. So I'd include regional championships and even some of the more competitive regular season races. Uh, it's, it's very, very dynamic and people really aren't racing an individual time trial, which is more how it used to be, I think. And is that how you have to race now? Uh, to an extent, yeah. It's been one of my favorite parts of developing as an athlete. That Earlier on in my career, my race plans were very much um, like I'm going to hold this power number and this pace and glue my nose to my power meter, and that's all I'm going to pay attention to. 
now it's more like a series of if this then that kind of situations you know like different situations that could unfold and how i'd respond to that tactically and it's super fun that's the most fun part about racing i think i'd be exhausted and bored of the sport if i was still trying to do every race like an itt we're going back to you don't think it's you know you think technology is too much credit for the gains we've made and you say athletes are definitely fitness or fitter what's changed to make athletes more fitter I think I'm sure if you look in the 2010s, like the athletes then were like growing it, they were training like beasts, you know, so what's, what's, what's the difference? Yeah. There's just more athletes on that caliber now than there okay. used to be. Okay. So, so I think, I think the, the, the greats of yesteryear would still contend in today's fields, but they're just, they just be among dozens of other athletes at their level. So okay. this is just a great consequence of our sport maturing. There's more and more people getting exposed to it. There's younger athletes coming in. Even just the fact that if you look at the demographics of the top 10 in Kona, the narrative of my entire career was that professional triathletes peak in their at the earliest over the Ironman distance in their early 20s to their late 30s and maybe mid 30s or late 30s is the sweet spot. That would be unlike almost any other sport where, you know, athletes tend to peak in their 20s. Look at the demographic shift that happened at Kona last year, at least in the men's race, it was dominated by like strikingly younger athletes than in the past. So I think that's also a consequence of the maturing of the sport. Do I think I can still hack it as a 33-year-old? Hell yeah. I think I've still got many good years ahead. But I think this narrative that athletes peak in their, their in their you know 30s was a consequence of a sport that was still maturing. And we're seeing a new generation of athletes now that are frankly on another level. Mm. In, in, in terms of the swim, um, you know, you're, uh, often you seem to be sort of a more of a mid-pack swimmer. Do you think guys that are, that are out the back a bit, you know, the likes of Lionel Sanders and Sam Long and, and so on, do you think they can still win championship races with a weak swim or do you think those, uh, those days are gone? Well, let's, let's qualify that a little bit. By mid-pack, I would say mid of front pack for me. Like mm. I, and Lionel and Sam would be truly mid-pack if we're talking percentiles along the entire pro field. Okay. If we're talking, you know, contenders who are vying to win the race, people ranked inside the top 50 in the rankings, then yeah, that's probably fair. Um, that's probably just semantics, though. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, you get your credit. Yeah, you get your credit. It's, it's, it's really, really tough to win a race these days with one-week discipline. And you used to be able to get away with that. There'd be, like... Some pretty shockingly poor performances in one of the disciplines that would still be good enough to win to win and set course records and increasingly you get found out if you have a weak discipline it's really hard like if you have a swim like lionel or sam you better be among one of the best cyclists in the world now to bridge your way up and that's really informed how i've structured my training over the last few years i mentioned that uh you know i've kind of held steady on the bike and i'm finally turning some focus back to that now it's because I've been pouring energy into the swim lately. I've been swimming 30 to 40 kilometers a week since uh, since last fall. So it's a constant game of trying to uh, tread water in a, a field that's just getting more and more advanced. Nice. And then finally, the run. You know, um, you've always been somebody that's run well. You know, when you came across to Ironman, you seemed to be consistently hitting those runs in the 240s, which we didn't used to see a huge amount of. You know, that would generally win you races, whereas now, you know, 240s is again it's just the norm and, and a lot of guys running low 240s so um i guess obviously the, the performance again has improved um in your own experience though with like the super shoes you know um, have you seen much gain um in your iron man running uh, assuming you, you're running in super shoes yes definitively yeah if i was a little bearish on the gains with cycling with running super shoes have been like a quantum leap forward it's it's amazing 
I think that performances in the past without super shoes, we can basically subtract five minutes from. Um, So I I was with a sponsor in the past that had a fantastic line of shoes by, you know, 2010 standard, but at the time didn't have a legitimate super shoe. And I kind of had my head in the sand about, I was hearing, you know, about the gains of these super shoes and I just couldn't really afford to entertain those, those doubts too much. When I eventually started testing, uh, I became unsponsored and spent like a couple grand of my own money during the pandemic testing out like a dozen super shoes. I remember the first time I put them on, it was kind of this huge aha moment. <laughs> and I, I wondered like how many, how much performance did I leave on the table? How many yeah. potential wins did I leave on the table? Which I couldn't allow myself to speculate too much, but suffice to say a huge game with super shoes. Tremendous. Yeah. Um, but if, if, the, if super shoes weren't here, do you think we'd be way faster still? Uh, yeah, just just because the game, of all the competition. I was talking about in the past, yeah, just the okay. increasing caliber of competition. And to circle back to that point about cycling tech, it's not that the technology hasn't improved so much, or sorry, it's not that the technology hasn't played a huge role in the evolution. It's that in the past, there just weren't as many athletes paying attention to the technology. I think that's an mm. important subtlety to to uh, discuss. Like mm. this technology was rel- has been relatively mature for 10 years. There's been fast tires, optimized chains, very aero frame sets, aero wheels. This stuff has all existed and it's only gotten minutely better over the last 10 years. However, at the start of my career, there were like just a handful of athletes who I saw were taking like a really methodical science-based approach to optimizing their bike tech and position. Like we're talking, you know, Jordan Raff, TJ Tolickson. Yeah. Those were guys who I was reading about on the Slow Twitch forum and trying to emulate. And I was still like in a minority of pros who were paying attention to that. You wouldn't believe some of the setups you'd see in the transition area on the bike rack, like just mm. embarrassing. Now the difference is like everyone is so dialed in. Everyone has an optimized chain. Everyone's running the fastest tires. Everyone's spending time doing aero testing. Mm. No, it's definitely moved on a bit. Um, the I think one other thing you just mentioned before that I'd like to bring up is is yet just a change of landscape since COVID, since the lockdowns. Um, from a business perspective, you know, has there been much of a, a change in terms of what sponsors are offering, uh, and has it become more difficult? And, and I know you, you're, you're really smart, and you often don't go for triathlon-based sponsors all the time. Um, so, how, how has that sort of landscape changed for you since um, COVID sort of come out of the lockdowns? It's a good question. I'm hearing two really different narratives, um, especially from industry sponsors. It's like, oh, triathlon metrics are looking kind of bleak or the recession's confirmed. We're erring on the side of caution or we're pulling back. We're reducing our budgets and sponsorships often an easy line item to strike out right away. But the other side of the story I'm hearing often from non-endemics, it's like, no, we're just raging back up to full speed coming out of the pandemic and it's on. So depending on who I'm talking to, I'm hearing very, very different versions of reality. Um, and you can, you can, I guess, paint a different picture depending on who you're discussing this with. So I've secured my best sponsorship ever this year, and it wasn't off the strength of a really strong pandemic of racing. So um, I'm optimistic about it. Yeah. But I think also a discussion I've had with a number of other pros, it would be really, really tough to get going in the sport now. Like I was fortunate my sponsors stood by me during the pandemic. Ten years into this, I have you know a, a reputation I can leverage to get sponsorship. If I was new to all this right now, it would be next to impossible to land anything. Like mm. these rookie pros I'm talking to are getting shut down again and again and again. So that aspect's a lot tougher, I think. How much, How much? you know, like social media is so important nowadays um, for the sponsorship dollar. How much do when you go to, and it's probably more your triathlon-based sponsors, is that a requirement? 
it, um, so it's, I would say earlier in my career, you know, results got your foot in the door and it was other factors such as social media that helped close deals. Yep. Now it's just like, I, I can't stress how, how, how dominant it is. Like it, in most of my contracts, it's the, the main element. Like they care about how I'm performing on the race course, but a lot of them don't even have performance bonuses anymore. Wow. So and I, I've kind of, I, I try to look at sponsorship as like a balanced portfolio where I'll have some industry sponsors that pay bonuses and care a lot about performance and other contracts that are more just about content delivery because I can't really manage going all in on one or the other, you know, it just seems riskier. So I like to diversify a little bit, but what I'm hearing from most sponsors is that, yeah, that kind of stuff is really important now and it's informed my business development in the sport as well. So I've spent more creating content over the last 12 months than the rest of my career combined. Hired and, my and partner to help with content a lot. I've been bringing a content creator along to races and workouts more often. And I feel like I'm, you know, barely keeping pace with some athletes who are doing a lot more. And there's, there's athletes that have basically leaned full time into the content creation these days because it's often it, more lucrative than racing. Is it, is it, um, something you enjoy or is it a stress? It's a stress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have really mixed feelings about it. I mean, you catch me on some days. Who doesn't like attention and it's fun to put yourself out there and you can you can tell yourself you're inspiring people and educating them but um a lot of the time i'd rather just have a really private unobserved life and it can be pretty gut-wrenching when some of the best and worst moments of your career and life are, are playing out in what feels like a pretty public way yeah. um, but so what i've kind of done to make peace with this is that i try and focus on content that's going to be funny or educational and that's about it and I don't always nail that, but that's the content <laughs> I feel good about that doesn't keep me up at night, you know, because <laughs> I, I find I'm, I'm really sensitive to dealing with like any kind of negativity. You can get a hundred positive comments, but it's the handful of negative ones that kind of get me down. So yeah. uh, we, we recently got on TikTok on the advice of some sponsors. I say we, my, my partners, my content creator sometimes and me, and again, very mixed feelings about getting on TikTok as a yeah. 30-something. You know, it's pretty cringy. But <laughs> some of my younger, more avant-garde uh, sponsors run by younger people are asking for this now. And that's the way the, the sponsorship world is shifting, I think. I've seen, yeah. I've been around long enough to see the evolution from like good old-fashioned blogs and websites to Facebook to Instagram and Twitter. And now short format video seems to be dominating the conversation and the opportunities around sponsorship. So yeah. trying to adapt, but... It's uh, kind of feels like old dog, new tricks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what, what's the plan for the rest of the season? You know, um, obviously Ironman World Champs are in Nice this year, so it's a completely different beast. Um, what's uh, the season looking like for you? So I, I secured my Nice spot in Texas by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have that door open. Um, you caught me at a time where I'm just kind of reflecting post Ibiza and uh, planning out the rest of the season. I think some decisions have been made for me, though. I'm not going to wait and see if I get those roll down PTO slots. I'm going to commit to doing a summer of Ironman racing. So I'm going to defend my title at Lake Placid. And I would really like to race Ironman Canada, which I was supposed to during the pandemic. It was canceled. Mm -hmm. It's back in its ancestral home in Penticton. Amazing course. Cool. And then Ironman Maryland is also beckoning. That would be three in 10 weeks. And yeah. uh, I did three Ironmans in seven weeks last summer, came away with three podiums. So I think I can do it again. And that is the kind of thing that's exciting. And now that I'm 10 years into this, I'm realizing that being excited about my race plan is probably the single most important variable, even more important than how optimally I can periodize it or how much money I might theoretically make or exposure. Like I really can't get around the fact that I have to be really turned on by my race schedule. Yeah. Cool. Um, one of those, you, you mentioned three podiums last year and, and one of those was, uh, 
was in Montremblant where you got third. I mean, how do you sort of feel about that now when the person who, who won that race is, is meditating or been busted for, for EPO? Oh man, it was, it was a really tough week when that news broke. Um, I, at first I thought it kind of just rolled off my back and I was a little upset, but it upset me more than I admitted to myself initially. And I actually sat down with, uh, had a drink with Josh Amberger, who was second in Tremblant, and I would okay. say the rightful winner now after after the race in Ibiza. And yeah, we got to commiserate about it. It was very therapeutic. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm still processing it, frankly. It was kind of world upending. I think that the point that I tried to make on social media after, there were a lot of takes and some really good takes, some really subtle takes. But the thing that hit me is that like, if I'm going to pour myself into this, you kind of have to cultivate like a level of naivety about it you almost have to pretend that doping doesn't exist at all because if you're if you're entertaining these doubts day after day that your competition's doping everyone better than you isn't for real that just makes it too soul crushing to pour yourself into this so when you're confronted with this this reality that of course part of me knew existed you know dopers are out there i don't think it's that prevalent in triathlon but you know people i'm racing are doping but when i'm confronted with that it kind of shatters that bubble of naivety that I've carefully created to insulate yeah. myself from those doubts. Yeah. So, you, you, you want to trust the world, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. I want to, I want to believe the best of people. Yeah. So it, it yeah, it made me, it makes me bitter and cynical. And I, I do take confidence from the fact though, that among my little training group of, you know, athletes I've, I've spent a lot of time with, like I'm talking, you know, Jackson Laundry and, and Jocelyn McCauley and uh, just other athletes who've had tremendous success in the sport, who I would stake my life on being clean. They're still they're still doing it on bread and water, so it's still possible, you know. Mm. And nice. I, I think, yeah, that, that that definitely is something to draw inspiration from. Cool. So, any, anything you want to get out there other than your, your new TikTok channel? Um, anything, <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to get out there? Any any news uh, if people want to follow you? Follow what you're up to? No, you guys have covered it brilliantly. You always do your research. I appreciate it. Yeah, cool. No, you look you're great for the sport. Um, it's just really cool to have contrasting athletes you know you got Lionel you got Sam Long you got people like you and um and getting in yeah giving us good educated content is, is fantastic so thanks for your time and we look forward to seeing you kick ass for the rest of the season thanks guys appreciate it awesome mate. thank you Jombo your thoughts oh it's great yeah he's great isn't he he's really just onto it runs himself like a business uh just a deep thinker as well mm. what do you do you agree with his, his thoughts on science versus just people being fitter because his argument yeah. is the, the water, you know, what is it? All higher water raises all boats, whatever it is. You know, that the, the pedigree of athlete is so high now and the range of ability is so much smaller that that need to go to the next level. And obviously, people setting new standards is the four-minute mile argument. Um, you know, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I just think it's, it's bigger depth. It's, you know, people, they're, they're risking it more on the bike, like you said, you know, pushing harder. Um, but the shoes are making a big impact, and and I totally agree. The technology on the bike has been there, and it's just now people are everyone's di dialing it in. So no, I pretty much agree with everything Cody says. Well, one question I have around that is, it's interesting that we're still seeing dominant players because if you think you've got a more competitive range of mm -hmm. athletes, you might get a period where you don't get that one dominant player for a period because mm -hmm. you know, like it's so competitive. But we we're, we're still just seeing dominant players, aren't we? We are, um, but if they're just a little bit off, then they're not dominate. Like in the past, Jan Frodeno could probably be quite a bit off yep. and he's still going to win races. Or Blumenfeld last week. Yeah, and, and the likes of Hayden Wild and Alex G at the Olympic distance, most of the time those two are crushing it. But if they're a little bit off, 
boom, as we saw at the World Championships final last year, they're down in sort of fourth or fifth place. So and I suppose if we look at the female game, like Danielle is no longer dominant. No, she's up and down. Yeah, we don't um, really have a dominant female right now, do we? Yeah, well, you got you got a handful. That yeah, are, that yeah. Are, there's that there's are a pedigree of like five or six who are of that level. But when they get it on, they seem to be absolutely smashing everybody. You yeah, know, like actually gentle and and what we saw with Anne Haug and stuff. So um, yeah, but no, it's it's a great time for the sport, isn't it? It's great. The depth is good and there's, there's solid racing for places five through ten. You know, if if you're a, you've got to be on, and if you're a bit off. You're out the back door. Okay, pro of the Ooh. week. We've been trying to do this one. A oh, pro Ooh, of the week. week. We've been trying to do this one for the last seven years. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> since, <laughs> since I'm in Texas, okay, and quite we, quite topical given that we had Cody Beals on um, for I'm in Texas from a few weeks ago. Um, it was on 22nd of April, so basically a month we've been trying to do this. Uh, I'm in Texas. Second place there, an extremely close race, um, was Robert. Wilkowicki from Poland and he was born in 1994 uh, so I guess he'll be turning th- 29 this year or if he's not already 29 but yeah it was a really close race in Texas he when I watched the coverage he actually passed Rudy Von Berg on the run but then got repassed right towards the end uh, ended up only being 13 seconds in it and then there was only another 8 seconds back to 3rd uh, Matthew Marquade um, but yeah I wanted to highlight him because A I've got a soft spot for, for poles because I used to go over there and had a few right, training camps over there uh, <clears throat> this year he finished 2nd at Texas last year he bombed out in Hawaii but he did win yeah. um, Poznan 70.3 and Warsaw 70.3 his home races and also got 2nd at Ironman Germany um, and when he got second there he was behind Denny Chevro uh, he finished in 7.56 and he beat that day Clement Mignon who won the world long distance champs the weekend before last as well um, prior to that he sort of started pro racing in 2017 got an 8th in Bioman Barcelona in 2019 then obviously all the COVID stuff um, but yeah just an athlete we need to to look out for a pretty consistent performer runs well and does it all pretty well and a name that I wasn't really familiar with so good on him okay let's Robert go Robert Wilkowicki from you Poland you are pro, winger to pro of the week <laughs> now we go winger of the week winger of the week and I've pulled her up number nine number nine I think it's Glen O Glen O there's some Charmony in France oh, I've had Glen before have we yeah do another one because Glen's a great guy oh it's well, a love okay uh, I'll go 27 27. It's my ex-girlfriend's birthday. Alex Paul. Didn't we? I think we interviewed Alex Paul on the show a while ago. Anyway, that's an impressive week. 17 hours and 40 minutes. Jeez, mate, you've got to go pretty long. And he's only 27th. Yeah. Uh, two hours and eight minutes of swimming. swimming. 10 hours, 28 on the bike. And five hours and three minutes on the run. And Alex is definitely a patron of the show as well. Is he from know. NY? Is that New York? New York. Forest Hills, New York. He's got a great smile. Yeah. And... Can we tell you about he's, Alex? He's got, he's got a picture on here, riding his bike down. Oh, look at that. Go on that photo. Go on that video. What a stunning place to bike. It reminds me when we did Epic Camp riding up through the top of Nelson and you got those trees that go over, over, mm-hmm. go over the street. Mm-hmm. He's riding down some place like that. It looks absolutely stunning. Longest bike ride he's ever done, 226 kilometres. Um, biggest climb, 50 metres. You don't know, surely that, that's got to be wrong. Yeah, that's got to be uh, wrong. And as predicted... 
predicted half marathon time, 140, full marathon, 3.44. Been really super consistent with his training since uh, around about March time. Um, and so I'm picking that Alex is building up for a race and he's getting ready to kick some ass. So hey, Alex mate. Paul from Forest Hills, New York. You are our winner of the week. Okay, that's Alex Paul done. And uh, just a quick Q&A. Uh, uh, just from Nick Hitch Pocock. Uh, he's just got a quick note to say thank you. A few years ago, John highlighted the American Triple T triathlons. I hid there in 10 days for my third visit. It's a great race, and I even get suckered into some newbies to join me for this very unique event every year. If I had never heard of your podcast that year, I would have never experienced the joy of this race. Now, what is it, John? Triple T, you do, pretty sure the first night you do a, like a prologue, maybe like a sprinty distance triathlon or something along those lines and the second day you kind of I think you do two Olympic distance races and then the third day you do a half Ironman and so it totals up to be a full Ironman over the weekend um, but I think they have an individual category now but in the past you used to do it as a two two person team oh, and so cool. you'd work together and you'd be able to draft and stuff on on some of the stages so uh, it, it seems like a really cool venue um, just old school stuff uh, and definitely another one a bit like Lanzarote that I said earlier on so a, a race that I'd really like to go and do um, one day so given we've had, recommended so many people do it the organisers can pay for us to go over and okay, um, here's we'll, do the format. We'll, so do, we'll do it together you know what <laughs> My knee comes right. I'd love to do it. If the organizer wanted to take me to America, I'd definitely be there. So swim. So Friday night at 5 p.m., you do a 250-minute swim at 3.3 mile. What's it, about 6K? Yeah, in that sort of region. Yep. Uh, and then you run a mile. It's a tough race. Yeah, that is. It is. You know, but you've got to save yourself. So you don't want to mix out too much, do you? So yep. then on Saturday, you do a an Olympic and a sprint. So it's 7.30 in the morning. You get up and you do an Olympic distance. So you swim a... Uh, Yep, basically Olympic. And then you do a sprint in the PM. So then at 3 p.m., so 7.30 in the morning, you do an Olympic. Mm-hmm. And you do a sprint. And then on the Sunday, you do... Half Ironman. Half Ironman. Mm. And I think it's a really beautiful part of the world uh, and, and really nice, challenging course. And you yeah, stay at one something one different. Oh, yeah. I'd love that sort of stuff. And have that real camaraderie, mm. you know, because you've seen lots of people around for the weekend. You have to make that, and I, and I doubt they do this, for people to go hard in that little prologue one, you kind of have to make it really count because if you just did it cumulative time for the whole weekend, yeah, so it's probably a not, point system, not, doesn't you it? You don't really need to smash No, you would that be stupid to. Because you just, yeah, it'll... But is, it, is it that competitive uh, or is it more of an experience? It's more of an experience. I think. Yeah, I'm sure it used could... to be you'd do it as a team. Yeah. Great time of the year to do it, early season, especially if you're building up for a race. It'd be a great weekend. Well, a good training weekend. Mm. You know, really good. Have you? I think you tried to stimulate it to simulate it one time, didn't you? We did do something like that here. Yeah. yeah. Can't remember what we did, but something along those lines. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into your quiz question. So the question was: Sam Long won a couple of races in the last period of time, uh, but now we want to know: Has he ever? What's the best place he's ever got an Ironman? Now, the way you ask the question makes me think he hasn't won one. Definitely hasn't won one. I can tell you that for nothing. So he's currently ranked number six in the PTO rankings and has had some fantastic 70.3 results over the year. I think he got third at the... He got third in St. George one year. I'm not sure if it was the World Champs or... or but yeah, a lot of really, really good uh, 70.3s. Some, some bad ones as well. But iron distance racing has not been his forte 
at this stage of his career. Okay, so you, you don't you're guaranteeing he isn't one. I would put a lot of money on him not winning one, and I'd put quite a lot of money on him not making a podium. I'm going. His best place has been seventh. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say third. Okay, I don't actually know. Let's see if we can quickly find this. So, and then, now going back to what we're talking about, with Cody Cody Bills about this, that you know, Cody acknowledges that PTO has been great for the oh, sport. What was it, six? I think so. I don't. So let's just go through. I'm in Arizona. He got tenth last year, and then it wrote he got did get sixth. So I was one out uh, the year before that. Didn't he get that third somewhere? Third, no, he got thirteenth <laughs> at Tulsa, uh, and. Oh, bugger it. I hate it when you're right. Oh, yes. I <laughs> know <laughs> uh, oh, you're wrong. Oh, bugger. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't put a lot of money on this. So I'm Here's at, one one. I'm at Florida in 2020. He got third. Yeah. Who did he get third behind? I reckon it's probably Skipper and, uh, and no, Matt Hans- Leaferman, Hanson, Sam Long. Uh, but he has one one. But then in... 2019, he won Ironman Chattanooga. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no maybe, him. Maybe, maybe there. But this is, you go back to the conversation we're having with Cody Gabels. And he's uh, got a second. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and a fourth, <laughs> and a fifth, <laughs> and another fifth. <laughs> the only thing he hasn't got is a seventh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, oh. Ironman Boulder. That's the one I was thinking yeah, of. There you go. 2017, Ironman Boulder, he got seventh Oh, uh, you're place. full of crap. <laughs> okay, so going back to the Cody Bills thing, Sam Long's not a very good Ironman triathlete. Relatively, relative to his 70.3s, yep. And he gets a big benefit in the PTO. Mm. Whereas a guy like Cody Peels... Well, none of his results, because you, you only need three results. So the PTO ranking is based off your best three, best results. three results. And his are currently... It is yeah. just a pity that PTO isn't really looking after the long course guys. Mm. Okay. It's a pity. Yeah. And there was a flow on effect that we talked about with Cody. But, you know, PTO was meant to be for endurance athletes. Yeah, so his points come from the US Open last year, from the Collins Cup last year, and from the recent St. George 70.3, which he won. Do you think he, he ever has a long-distance Ironman career in front of him? He's still pretty young. He's 20, was 27. I don't know, he's a bit bigger guy. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think fast. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll go as well as what he does at 70.3. He's a fantastic 70.3 athlete. Mm, but his swim is pretty shitty, so then you might go, maybe he will do a bit better at Ironman. Yeah, more time to catch up. Um, so anyway, this stage, he's crushing at 70.3. Okay, watch your swim set. Swim set, what did we do this morning? Um, there was a groan from people when they saw yeah, it this it's morning. When you, like when you tell me about your swim set. Yeah, three, 300 <laughs> warm-up, 675s, doing a bit of IM, and uh, so one IM without the freestyle, and then one kick, drill, freestyle. And then the main set was 6 by 400 on, we did them on the 630, uh, descend 1 to 3, 4 to 6. So for me, that means going about 6 minutes for the first one, 550, 540, and then repeat. So you go 6 minutes, 550, 540, or just a little bit under. And then we did 150 metres uh, easy, and then 100 max effort. Somebody got in my lane, got in the way. Wasn't particularly thrilled about that. What's that about? Uh, then warmed down. I think it was about 3.5K. So that was today's swim set. Okay, let's get into the patrons. We've got a new patron, John. 
We have. And you've already given the nickname. Well, this is a, a, an optional one. Oh, I like uh, it. So Gavin Sutton, welcome aboard. Thank you my, very much. My dad's name's Gavin. Nice. Yeah. Could call him Dad. Yep. <laughs> oh, Gavin, Gavin. Gavin, my dad, Sutton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just, so I'll just do a bit of stalking for Gavin, and I think I found him. He's from Sydney, and he was on Strava, and it just so happened at the weekend if I got the right Gavin Sutton, he did the UTA 100, which is oh, the wow. Australian Ultra 100 kilometre race. Uh, he finished 100. Now, is it a miler or is it 100K? 100K. Um, he got 117th by the look of it, out of around about 800. Uh, 100 kilometre distance, 6,000 metres of elevation, I think I saw, which is... No, it's 4,000. Was it? Oh, I'm looking at his Well, on a Strava, it said four. But then, if you read his comments, oh okay, his okay. Dis- he says his distance was wrong, um, and okay, okay, and well, the, on the right. when I went on the website, it said six thousand meters of elevation. Six thousand meters, That's a lot of elevation. How long did it take him? Fourteen hours, fourteen and a half hours. Yeah, it's a long time for running. Again, doesn't necessarily appeal to me. What about what about the percentage of running versus walking he was doing? Gav, oh. Dad, <clears throat> let me know. <laughs> it's you're power walking for that. A lot for, of yeah, especially in that. You, you run the flats, but the rest of the time you walk. Run the flats and the and the um the downhills, but on the uphills you you're walking. Except the, the top guys aren't, but everyone else is. Um, so it, he's from Sydney, and when I looked at his Strava profile as well, he looks like he does quite a few point to point runs. Yep. And so I was thinking. The, wander, the Wanderer. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, there's nice. also, there's a Sydney football team called the Sydney Football Wanderers. Or Walkabout. Walkabout. <laughs> the Walkabout Wanderer. Yeah, there you go. Because that's what you do when you walk about, don't you? You just kind of get up and go, so walkabout. Walkabout Wanderer. No, I went out for a girl Sutton. when I was younger. Her name was Renee. And Renee, I liked Renee. I liked her a lot at that time. And But she was a bit of a, she came from a bit of a rough family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and her father was a bit like that. Her parents were broken up. And her father would just go walk about. And that's what the family would say. Go walk about and go disappear for like four months. And, and not just like, and, and then just turn up again yeah. and be around for a couple of years and then go walk about again. Oh, and they would say, oh, dad, go walk about. Yeah. And, 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 and like no one knew where he was. Yeah. And he'd just disappear and then. Yeah. Different world you so, were raised in. Yep. So Gavin, the walkabout wanderer, uh-huh. Sutton. AKA my dad. <laughs> okay, uh, we also say, want to say thank you to a couple of other patrons. Phil, the big brown whitehead. <laughs> Phil, we love you, but it's a shocker. Uh, Ken, rocking the free world young. And Ben, Mystery Walton. Okay, if you want to become a patron like my dad, Gavin Sutton, yeah, you can uh, go to www.iamtalk.me, go to the front page. Just go through the process, support the boys. If you enjoy our show, we'd like to be a, a, a good part of your triathlon week. You can chuck some money our way. Uh, if you want to pick a, get some coaching, go to coachjohnnewson.com. Anything I do, bevanjamesisles.com. Email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, that's all good. John, you goss. Big bike ride last week, did 200Ks by myself. I was extremely grateful. Had a tailwind for much of the ride. Oh, it makes a massive difference. Because <laughs> the roads are shit in New Zealand. They're really yeah. I was doing my head. And Hamlet, you can get a headwind the whole way, can't you? It, totally, you can. Yeah. Um, and what was even better, uh, I'm not big on Strava, but I do I do check it out. And I, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I'm posting everything on Strava. Um, I got a, I got a King of the Mountain crown. Oh, nice. Because I just had no a one's been on it? tailwind. It was like oh. average 38k an hour for half an hour down the straight. Uh, so that was that was good. Um, crumbled a bit towards the end. Went and walked up Mount Isabel. If you go to Hamner, beautiful walk. Yeah, it's I think stunning. For us, it took us about three and a half hours. Yep. Up and uh, down? 
yeah, yeah. 800 meters of elevation it's a bit, it's a bit gravelly at the top isn't it yeah it's nice yeah. but you want to yeah you want to do it on a nice day and it was good sent the kids off to the hot pools and didn't see them till like seven o'clock at night oh nice great then they came back <laughs> seven and they'd be tired yeah and then they came back and then we had to need to go out for dinner and hamlin is a small place and everything's always booked out yeah Went to the first place and we almost had a domestic outside. Oh, really? <laughs> because we couldn't get in. Oh, you could have a seat outside, no heater. It was like freezing. Yeah. And Thomas and Belinda said, we'll just go there. I was like, we're not sitting outside and freezing our tits off. Went somewhere else. Do, do, I, look, do I talk like a German Bevan? Yep. Went to this other place. It was quite comical. And um, it was a pubby sort of place. So you got your expectations pretty low in terms of what you get. Order some starters. I do like a bit of calamari for a yeah, starter. Yeah, nice. So deep fried calamari. Can be a bit rubbery. Yep, can be. And But then, yeah, and we had pizzas and stuff around Maine. But all the starters, calamari and some wedges. But you know how German, when Germans can't pronounce like their, their Vs? Yep, um, wedges. And I, I said wedges. And the guy must have heard veggies. Oh. <laughs> so comes, we, these onion rings come out and then we've got this like, he just drops them on the table and there's this little bowl of vegetables. <laughs> so we're like looking at each other going, what the hell's going on here? I didn't order any veggies. And, and he must have I ordered wedges and he heard veggies. He wasn't, uh. a, key, wasn't a, you know, a kiwi. And I was like, oh, okay. But the veggies were very, very now, good. Did they give you wedges as well? No, I was going, Do I make should we pull them up on this? So I've saved a few dollars here probably because yeah. and they were really good and the children got some vegetables into them, which is great. Yeah. So we let it ride. Uh, and that was about all we did up in Hamlet. It was great. Awesome place to go for a weekend. Especially from Christchurch. Mm. You know, yeah. our home at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's so convenient. Yeah. Lots to do. Um What was the restaurant you went to? It was the five stags. It's just like a pubby sort of place. Yeah, on the corner. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. fine. Get what you pay for. What's the one with the white building? That, um, I had one of the best meals of my life at that place. I don't know if it's still owned by the same place, but same people. But there was, we, we went, oh, it's, it's one of the flasher places here. It's not and really it's, flash, but yeah. Yeah, well, this is the flash one then. Yeah, it used to be Chantelli's maybe. It's a white house kind of before the main shops. Yeah. So as you're coming in, it's kind of one of the first ones. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you what, the meal was just divine. Mm. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Top what about you? What was your, what was your weekend? Jumbo, what have Warriors I Warriors won again. Mate, see how you back on track. Yeah, no, mm. you haven't put a bad performance in. Mm. The games I've lost, the you know, the, the obviously not great performances, but they didn't drop lip. Mm-hmm. Uh they they did what they needed to do this weekend. Mm-hmm. We're in the top eight, we get a bye this weekend. Great. That's good as well. So I'm happy for the Warriors. Uh Jumbo, what's my goss? I've been reading this book called Super Learning. Mm-hmm. Have you read that book? No, I've not. It's about this guy who basically has figured out how to super learn. And so basically what he did is he, he finished university, he was studying, I think, some kind of engineering or arts, I can't remember, and then he decided he wanted to study engineering. So he thought to himself, instead of paying to do another degree, I'm going to study the whole degree in a year mm-hmm. and see if I can pass it. And he wanted to learn about hyperlearning. Mm-hmm. So he, he ends up doing the, a four-year or five-year degree in, in one year mm-hmm. uh, and passes like really well. And then he starts getting on this hyper learning thing. So then he starts doing um, like languages. He learns like French in three months, mm-hmm. and um, and it's really interesting, John. Because I don't, th- I'm not a very good learner. Mm-hmm. You know, I think because I failed so academically as a kid, um, I didn't learn the foundations of learning. Um, and this this approach is very much to trying to you, you you know it's not just trying to learn. You're trying, trying to learn, to yeah. And and also, it's. Um, 
it's it's hard. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not comfortable learning. It's quite challenging learning. Um, but there's some really interesting strategies in it. So I've kind of I've got to make a bit of a project to see if if I can what I can do. You've got to put everything else to one side, there, haven't you? Just, well, well, that's all you do. That, that's what he says. Is he says there's levels you can do this at. So you mm. can do it as in. I'm going to go live in France. Like, mm. like what he did, him and mates went to, they did, what they did is they went four, they learned four languages in a year. Mm. But a part of that was they, they had three months in each place. But one of their rules was once you arrive in that place, you're not allowed to speak English at all. Mm, totally. You know, yeah. and so, and he gives you, like, one thing he talked about, which I've started with, which is really interesting, you know, like, um, when you think about, uh, when we try to create change, we like the idea until we have to actually create the change. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. And so one thing he talks about is he's a real big believer in that you need to spend a big chunk of time before you even start learning, putting all the pieces together that are going to help you with it. So what's your plan? What do you actually need to learn? What strategies? And then he talks about um, procedures, facts, and processes. So what are the, you know, what are the different of these you need to learn and, and so on and so on. Uh, and, you know, he says like, realistically, if you're going to learn something that's going to take you 600 hours, mm. probably need to do 60 hours of planning. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, I thought, because I, I want to do some, I'm, I'm doing this around my piano playing, basically. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll do this. And then you sit down and you go do the playing. It's, oh, I just want to do the playing. Mm. But it's like, no, no, this week. So I, I've got a goal that I want to hit with my piano playing by the end of the year. And so the next kind of three weeks, I'm just literally just doing intensive planning mm. you know like really breaking down wh- what are all the skills that i need to be what are the understanding the facts and all this and then yeah and then he's got all these processes so it'll be really interesting to see because i don't see myself as a good learner i'm as an in, in a traditional sense like mm-hmm. i am a learner but if you were to put me in a classroom i was always pretty poor at learning in those environments mm-hmm. um but he is also you probably do well with the students at the moment like flossy's off school again today another strike Just another strike <laughs> <laughs> parents are not happy about the strikes <laughs> so yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys progress as I go along mm. um, but yeah it's, it's interesting stuff because if you can learn faster oh no going back to so he was saying you know like he did immerse his life mm. but it's like it doesn't have to be the case you can have a five hour project you still use the same strategy so like for me my piano playing realistically is probably probably three hours a week, maybe four. And, and I'd like to get up to maybe five to six. So I'll probably invest six hours a week f- to the to the end of the year for this project. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. And I'll, I'll give you an update on what I'm learning about my learning. Happy learning. Yeah. Well, you want to, well that's the thing is if you can learn better. Mm-hmm. Quicker, better, more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can create bigger change, can't you? Mm. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Eno. Train hard. Train smart. Kick off.